everyone. Really excited to have one of my mentors and good friends, Duncan McCall. He and I worked together for some time at Growth Genius. I was initially a part of his team and then got to work alongside with him. And during that entire time and afterwards, obviously, huge, huge influence on who I am as a person, how I approach learning, development, and how I've grown as an individual. And I think really fortunate to have Duncan on the podcast today. I think he has a lot of great knowledge to share. I think I'm only scratching the surface with this podcast. And I think I'm really excited to focus on this specific topic, which I know he's incredibly intelligent on, has done a lot of deep thinking around this, which is how to learn. It's a topic that it's pretty unorthodox, I think, you know, it doesn't really apply to any specific profession, vertical or anything like that. This is more of a general that I think anyone can benefit from and, you know, really speaks to how Duncan learns because I think he's applied this framework across a number of different subjects and has had a lot of success. So yeah, really excited to have you on Duncan, probably give you a bit of a chance to introduce yourself. Yeah. Well, thanks for the great intro. And I would say ditto to a lot of what you said in terms of, you know, spending time together, working together. I think I, I probably learned just as much from you as, as you from me. So yeah, it was an amazing experience. And, and obviously, you know, I think you have some uh, amazing ideas and I love what you're doing with, you know, sharing all of this information, whether it's through, you know, writing or, or doing this podcast. I think it's amazing. So yeah, I mean, thanks for having me. Perfect. Really appreciate you saying that. Jumping into the podcast, I think, like I said, learning is such a broad topic. Where do you start and, and you know, where can you possibly end a topic like this? I think before we get into the nuances of all the details behind it, let's probably talk about why learning is so important and get your take on that. Yeah, for sure. So I think I think two primary things. One is that I think just, you know, given kind of where we are in this moment in time in history, right? We're, we're kind of heading into a period of time where change is accelerating. And, you know, you can kind of see in the media how we're constantly talking about automation and people losing jobs and things like that. And I think really that's a sign of, you know, how quickly things are starting to change. And so I think that learning how to learn and, and just exercising that muscle and, and better understanding how to do that, I think that's probably like in terms of skills that you can develop going forward is probably like the skill because it, it really is the foundation for everything else. And then the other piece I think is maybe a little bit more sort of philosophical, but I, I think honestly, just in terms of living a great life, I think that learning is also foundational to that, right? Like once you become self-directed in your sort of your personal development and your improvement and you start to build confidence in, in your ability to actually just like go into any domain or um, be able to pick up any concepts because you have that sort of skill set. Then I think for me anyways, I found that my, my perspective on the world changed a lot and things got really interesting and life became, you know, really fun because I, I felt like I could, I could go into any situation and just kind of sort of, you know, figure things out because I, I practice that so often. So I think that that's just a really important piece just for general well-being and, and satisfaction with your life. I think it's not just about getting really good at learning something like, you know, these hard skills like math or science or whatever it may be. It's, 
you know, I think it's also like, how can we improve in our relationships and connecting with people and, you know, how to improve our health and things like that. So totally. I think, you know, to follow up on that, I think it's really two things. One is this change in mindset where education has gone from being a activity that you do early on in your life and then kind of operate with the assumption that everything you've learned in the first 20, 25 years of your life will get you past all the years after that. And I think the other piece is that you will be doing the same thing for your entire career. I think both of us are probably a testament to the opposite where, you know, education is certainly not something that's limited to your early years. And you're certainly not going to be someone who is stuck to one particular career uh, over the course of your lifetime. I mean, the number of changes I've made up until this point and and yourself, obviously, Duncan, I, I think has been enormous and historically would have been seen as seismic shifts where you need to do a graduate degree, spend a couple of years to make those shifts. And now it's quite possible to make those shifts just by reading the right things, talking to the right people, and building the right connections. And I think that's a piece that a lot of people miss on, especially when I think about the general public and it really limits them. I think you know, during a time where people are getting laid off, where people might see themselves as a very functional individual, whatever that function may be, I think if you dig deeper and look at the underlying skills there, there's a huge opportunity to learn a couple of things really on the top and make some pretty big shifts and hopefully try different things that they're passionate about. So definitely, definitely great points there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you made a good point around, you know, for whatever reason, and I think it's probably a result of just the way that the, the traditional education system sort of shapes our thinking and our minds. You know, I think a lot of people sort of think about, learning is ending, you know, when you leave school. So I think that's a really important point. And I think to be successful going forward, but I also think if you look back historically, this is probably the way that a lot of really successful people operated as well is just like always being in that mindset of, of sort of always being a student, always learning. And then obviously, yeah, you know, one career for life. I mean, I think as we go forward, it's very unlikely for that to be a thing. So yeah. For sure. And circling back to learning, what would you say are some of the key elements or key components of great learning? I think there's, you know, when I think about there's a mentality aspect of things, there's obviously a tools and resources aspect of learning. You know, let's dive deeper into that and, you know, maybe speak to the mindset for learning. Yeah, for sure. So I think I think that's a huge piece, mindset, the psychology of it. But one thing that I've tried to do more and more of over the last couple of years is to sort of try and cultivate in myself this mindset of being a student, right? And and always trying to be a student in whatever situation I go into because I think, you know, really if you think about it from the perspective of you know, learning in the, in the context of like a classroom or a school, like what is the expectation for a student really is just to learn. And I think that if we approached more areas in our lives that way, work and, you know, also skill training for your job or whatever it may be, learning a new sport, whatever. I think that that mindset of like approaching it as a student and, and just focusing on the process, uh, just focusing on learning, not worrying about outcomes so much. I think that that's 
enormously important. And I think a lot of things sort of flow from there. So you, you mentioned, you know, one sort of core piece of this being uh, a psychological piece. I think that is at least kind of like the foundation that I start with is like, you know, trying to think through like, what, what does it mean to be a student and trying to adopt as much of that um, as I can. For sure. I think you touched on a really interesting word there flow. I think uh, it means different things to people. I think certain people experience flow doing different things, right? So for example, when you're working out, you're in a specific flow stage when you're perhaps doing artwork and you're drawing, right? You're in a certain flow stage. Like, tell me more about that. Cause I think that's a really important topic to talk about. Yeah. So yeah, flow is very interesting. I think there's a lot of research that's been done to show that it, you know, it's sort of like the optimal state that you want to get into in terms of work. And, and obviously if you're learning in terms of your engagement with whatever it is that you're doing. So yeah, I mean, I think if you, if you, for, for people that are listening, if you Google flow channel, you'll find a, a bunch of diagrams that I think sort of explain kind of like a meta principle of how I think about difficulty and challenge around learning. So often when you're going into a new domain, you know, you'll have, let's say high expectations for yourself. And so one thing that you can do is make things too difficult too early for yourself. And that will impact your willingness to sort of come back to the, let's say like the practice of learning. And of course, the other thing that you can do is if you're, you know, if you're already sort of proficient in, let's say like basic mathematics, and that's all you're doing is just sort of repeating the same thing over and over again, it's going to be quite boring. And so this flow channel diagram, I think is really interesting to look at because it sort of visualizes this balance that you need to find in the learning process between, you know, things being not too challenging, but also not too easy and kind of like where you fit as you're building your skill set. So over time, as your skills improve, then you can kind of increase the challenge, but you also don't want to put yourself in a situation where things get so hard that, that this, you know, this thing that you're trying to learn, whether it's math or fitness or whatever it may be, you start to associate that with, with pain you know, that, as I said before, that's sort of going to decrease your willingness to engage with the the subject or the domain that, you know, that you're trying to learn. So I think like that, that flow channel diagram and this idea of flow, I think is a met, is a meta principle for learning, I think is something definitely to, uh, to check out. Yeah. I think a lot of times it's logically makes a lot of sense as to why you may not be able to lift incredibly heavy weights day one or do calculus in day one, yet when it comes to other areas in life, we kind of shy away from learning those simply because we look at what the end state is like and just feel like it's too hard to get there. But we don't look at all the underlying steps that's required to get there. And if we look at those individual steps, oftentimes it's quite achievable, right? And, and it's usually not as hard. And especially with today's tools, uh, applications, everything, all the resources out there, it's quite easy to go up the ladder relative to generations in the past, right? And I think being able to take advantage of all that is the information arbitrage, right? Some people know what are some of the shortcuts on the way up and other people don't. And, and that usually prohibits a lot of people from learning new things and really taking a stronger approach towards taking risks, right? And trying out different things. Another piece that you touched on 
was process. You're probably one of the most process oriented people I know. You have a process for pretty much everything. Yeah. So tell me more about your process around learning, perhaps, you know, specifically around creating habits. First of all, I guess, you know, I think the way that my brain works is that if I, if, you know, like, let's say it's like, you know, working at a, at a startup and sort of trying to figure out, well, like, how are we going to improve sales for that company? Then the way the where the place my brain goes is like, well, I need to sort of understand the machine that is, you know, the sales process. And so I, I naturally sort of like gravitate towards like deconstructing, you know, like what is the, what's sort of like the goal here and then working backwards and trying to deconstruct this thing into a, into a process so that I understand what the levers are here to pull and, you know, how, how I can sort of improve the process as I go along. From a learning perspective, I, I mean, it depends on obviously the, the, the thing that you're learning, right? So if it's a, if it's a, a cognitive uh, skill, like if it's math, that you're, you're probably going to take a different approach than if it were something physical, like, you know, learning to ride a bike, for example. So maybe I'll sort of describe some of my process for more like cognitive stuff, because I'm at least over the last six months, I would say I'm spending a lot of time learning things like programming and, and math and other things. So spending a lot of time on the internet. But yeah, I mean, basically, so I mean, some, some high level ideas before I sort of get into the, the, you know, the granular details of what my process looks like. I think one is I've learned to, you know, to really quickly get up the curve is like, don't be afraid to borrow from other people. So I'm constantly, if I'm going into a new domain, I'm constantly looking for one of the first things I'm doing is looking for people that have like already solved this problem. Right. So if someone's already learned machine learning, then I'm going to go look for those people and I'm going to see kind of like what they recommend in terms of a process, where they recommend to start, what are the, the, you know, the important, let's say like milestones along the way. And I'm not just going to look at one person. I'm going to go and try and find, you know, five people, 10 people. And I found that really helpful as well is sort of taking in as many perspectives as you can and starting to triangulate. Cause often what you'll see is if you, you know, again, to use the example of machine learning, if I, find five to 10 people that know machine learning really, really well. And I can start to triangulate things and find patterns in what they're talking about. And I find that really, really helpful. And also often what will happen is, you know, you'll find somebody who's, who's uh, a great educator, but they're not going to nail the concepts specifically for you every single time. So maybe 60 or 70% of the time, they explain something to you really, really well, and you get it. But the other 30%, you're going to need to go find another resource to, to maybe like help, you know, show you a different perspective so that the things sink in. So that's something I do. And then also, I think, you know, trying to create a, a mind map. And I think this probably goes back to just sort of like this sort of process orientation I have. But if I'm learning a domain, I, I definitely want to as quickly as possible, try and get sort of like a high level picture of what that domain looks like. And, and then that helps me orient the, this, the, as you sort of like drill down into subjects. So again, you know, with machine learning, as you're starting to drill down into the individual topics, you kind of have a framework to, to hang them on, right? You understand like how one relates to another because you can kind of see the bigger picture. So that's, those are sort of like maybe some some meta level things that I, I would recommend in terms of process and things that I do. 
In terms of specific stuff, I usually start off with what I call sort of like a superficial level domain exploration. So this is really just like familiarizing yourself with the domain and what's going on. And that usually just starts with like Google or Twitter or something like that, right? So if it's machine learning, it's it's Googling around, trying to figure out like what's going on in the in the industry or in that area. Like what are people talking about? I'm looking for thought leaders. I'm looking for resources and things that I can start to get up the curve quickly and just like familiarize myself with like the verbiage, the main concepts, etc. So I'm skimming articles, I'm watching videos, etc. The goal here really isn't to learn anything per se, other than just start to like orient myself in the domain. One of the things that I found really helpful during this part of the process is going and looking at curriculum outlines, right? So if you're if you're trying to learn machine learning, go and look at, you know, intro to machine learning courses on Coursera or Udemy, or go look at how people have laid out playlists for uh, machine learning videos on YouTube, or, you know, pick up a book and sort of see how they lay out their chapters. That's going to give you a really quick way to get up the curve in terms of like, this is kind of a roadmap you could think about following and also going to help you identify the main concepts and things like that. And then the second piece is then from all of that starting to build your own curriculum, right? So then what I'll do is sort of grab all those materials and start to create that high level picture. Like, you know, I, I'm going to need to, to learn this thing before that thing. These are, these are how these things sort of flow together, right? So starting to create that syllabus or that curriculum. And then from there, it's really just moving through a learning schedule. And I, I like to break it down into to sort of thinking about like, okay, like, well, what are all the different ways that we learn things, right? And so the first piece for me would be what I call like reading, watching, and observing. So I'm just sort of like reading articles, books, watching lectures, right? So there'll be some, some time blocks built into my schedule for that. From there, the second piece would be sort of like building, practicing, doing. So it's not obviously not enough to just sort of be reading articles and books and watching lectures. Now you need to start getting like hands-on and actually building things. So this would be building projects, getting more active in the learning process. And then the third piece would be what I call reflecting, teaching, and explaining, right? So like I'm writing down what I've learned. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to um, synthesize it into something concise to make sure that I understand it. I'm trying to, I think it's effective to try and teach it to other people because it really forces you to make sure that you know what you're talking about. And just having discussions with other people that are either learning the same thing as you or maybe know a little bit more than you, I think is also really helpful in terms of like checking your knowledge. So that's kind of at a high level, the the process that I follow when I'm learning a domain online. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense, especially the last three stages that you talked about as you know between reading watching and observing building practicing and doing and then finally reflecting teaching and explaining i really like this process especially when it comes to cognitive skills however when you think about other types of skills that you learn perhaps a bit more over time i think it really comes down to taking notes and again one of the things that i think you do a really good job of is taking notes, right? And it sounds super simple. It sounds something that we all should be doing, but for some reason, a very small portion of us do it. And I think that also similar to the way you approach learning is another habit that just simply needs to be worked on. 
and done in a really productive way. So what are your thoughts on that? How do you approach taking notes in general? Yeah. So this is something that changed for me a couple of years ago. I think that I realized that for whatever reason, I had this like this sort of like egotistical idea about myself that I needed to sort of remember everything. And so, you know, I always thought like, you know, if I'm reading a book, like I, I shouldn't really need to take notes. I should just be able to remember it. Right. Like surely that's what like the smartest people in the world would be able to do. Right. So if I can't remember everything, I'm, I must be an idiot. But I think that, you know, obviously that's not true. And I've come to appreciate, you know, how more of how our minds work and really like, what's the kind of information that you should be putting in your brain? What, what, what kinds of things can you offload? But even maybe just to take a step back, like just in general, I think, you know, to your point, like taking notes is incredibly, I think an incredibly powerful like tool for lack of a better word. And it's surprising to me, for example, like how many people read books and they don't take notes while they're reading books. Like obviously if you're reading a science fiction book for pleasure or whatever, maybe that's not something you need to do, but I'm constantly having conversations with friends about reading books and they're just like, I, you know, I read this book a month ago and we started to have a conversation about it and they just don't remember anything. And in, in, of course that makes sense, right? Like it's just not how our brains work. You're trying to put it on, huge amount of information into your mind and remember it all kind of on one pass. And we know that, you know, it's kind of like cramming for an exam in school. Like it just doesn't work. So I think just at a high level, what I've found super valuable is just like, just the process of taking notes, like forget the, forget the actual process that people use. And if you're putting things into a, a, a digital tool like notion or, you know, Google docs, or if you're just writing things down on paper, whatever it may be, I I think that alone is just an amazing first step. And then in terms of my actual process for the specific note taking, I don't really do anything crazy. I I have a very organized system. So I use notion, which is a great tool. So if if people who are listening, haven't checked it out, I would highly recommend checking out uh, notion and there are other tools like it, but it's really just about, I think just at a high level, just being organized. So in notion, every, every piece of content that I have, every conversation I have with somebody, if it's a phone call, I'm taking notes and it's going in into uh, my organization system within notion so that everything is like labeled by date and it's tagged. And so I can quickly get at these things. So that's really helpful. So if I ever need to go back to a book or an idea within a book, I can quickly pull that up. And then the other thing I would mention is just uh, this idea of this guy named Jim Quick, who's sort of like a memory expert, very interesting guy. And he has this idea of um, taking notes versus making notes. And so I think what a lot of us do is we take notes, meaning we sort of, we might, we read a book and we kind of just write down like what it says in the book. And I think that there's another step to be taken there, which is his point, which is that you actually want to make notes. And so what he does is, uh, you know, if you're writing in paper, he'll just take a piece of paper, put a line down the middle of it. On the left side is your sort of note taking and on the right side is your note making. Right. And so on the left, it's like, it's, you know, stuff coming straight out of the book, maybe some facts or some sentences you want to remember. And then on the right side, it's actually like sitting there thinking about what was being said and trying to synthesize that into your own ideas. I think that's really important. So, but I actually think that you probably have a more, rigorous note-taking process than I do. So I, I would actually love to hear like more of what your process is like. Yeah, for sure. I think it's very similar to the foundations that you talked about as far as taking notes versus making notes. 
first of all, just getting into the habit of taking notes. And I think it starts off by first just capturing a note. So like whether you use Notion, Evernote, you know, there's a few other tools out there or even a piece of paper. I think just getting into the habit of taking notes is the first critical step. I think it's easy to get caught up on where exactly are these notes going? How relevant are these notes? And, you know, why should I be taking these notes? And I think that's the first critical mistake that people make. I think if you're consuming information, you have to assume that it's important in some way, shape or form. And so taking the notes is the first step, not even making the notes, just simply taking it, capturing raw information. Don't even try to make it look pretty. And I think over time, you know, as you can start to organize these notes and there's a number of organization structures out there. Right. The structure I use is something that was popularized by, you know, David Allen getting stuff done, Tiago Fort uh, with building a second brain, which is project areas, resources and archive. To me, it really distills down into project resources and archives. So either it's related to a project that I'm working on today, project essentially being something that I have a defined timeline on. The second is resources. So it's related to an area that I'm interested in. And then the last is archive. So it's something that I used to be interested in. And so naturally, things either go into project or resources. As I complete projects, it moves into archive. And over time, you kind of get into this habit of working within the structure. And then you start organizing other information portfolios into a similar structure. Because notes are just one aspect of your information portfolio. There's emails. There's Google Drive. There's a bunch of other places where you consume information. And then you start going into the next layer of integrations, which is using read later apps, using you know, different video apps to essentially capture this information from or capture the information from articles, videos that you might be consuming, but no way of gathering information. And you know, especially for someone like myself, who I consider to be a you know, heavy information consumer, I think, Duncan, you're probably the same. It's really important to take these notes on every possible way, because if you don't, you run the risk of forgetting it. And circling back to where you had talked about, you know, whether it was ego or something else, I think the education system really trained us and really rewarded memorization, right? The more you remembered and the more you were able to answer these questions right away, you were rewarded in the form of grades, in the form of, you know, different achievements, being able to go to the top universities didn't really test for actual ability. It really tested for your ability to memorize. And there's a lot of talented folks who probably didn't make it through the system simply because they didn't have a structure for retaining information. And for some reason, the system really focused on the retention of information versus the understanding of information. And so when it comes to your notes, obviously, first step, capture all this information. But then the next step is to, like you said, make notes. So over time, you begin to rely on your note repository, whether that's a diary or Notion or Evernote, you begin to rely on that knowledge hub whenever you need to remember something. And then once you start searching through these notes, I'd recommend try to make notes at that point. So use the raw information that you created and combine different notes if you want, but make notes on topics that you find interesting. And it will become pretty obvious. When I started the process, 
I literally took notes on everything. And then over time, it started to get more and more refined and allowed me to kind of just be very precise on the areas where I wanted to make notes. And a lot of it is what manifests into the newsletter and the podcast, right? And so going back to an earlier statement that you said around the mindset of a student, I think the newsletter and podcast to me, more so than anything else, allows me to be a student again, right? I can essentially go to people, you know, whether I know them or not, and have conversations that I want to have with them, right? Learn from them. And then when it comes to a newsletter, it's just taking the notes that I took, right? Refining it a bit. So making notes and then sharing them, right? And I think that's, that's really kind of the next level that I've seen a lot of people I respect take and definitely a step that I've taken. I think one of the interesting processes around taking notes, though, to take a step back is around the way you take read books. I think a lot of times the most valuable pieces of information come from books. However, they're incredibly dense. Like you said, a lot of people forget what they read probably a couple of weeks, a month down the line. And I think you have a really interesting way taking down the information and really looking at the book in its entirety and looking at it as a product versus trying to think of it as a race where you have to read the first page and go all the way to the last page. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is something that I definitely, it definitely sort of evolved over time. And I've, some of these ideas I've sort of picked up from listening to other people that I respect in terms of them talking about how they think about reading books. Naval Ravikant would be one of those people. I think listening to him sort of talk about how he thinks about ingesting information and reading books is really interesting. And made me realize, I think that the way that I was doing it wasn't as weird as I, as I thought. I think just generally, I mean, again, it, it depends on the kind of book that you're reading. What we're going to talk about probably doesn't apply to Harry Potter or, you know, science fiction or something like that. If you're reading for pleasure, then, you know, I, I would say like having some sort of process might actually just ruin the experience. So maybe that's not, uh, in that context, it's not the best way to think about it, but Definitely, if you're reading to learn, so there's a, a couple like sort of meta ideas there. First is that I started to realize that you know book a book is just a piece of technology, right? And so I think it's interesting to think about the the time that we live in today. And I know it's you know you you hear things like leaders are readers, and it's uh, you you see a lot of really successful people, and they're constantly talking about reading books and things. And I think I would sort of tweak that slightly to be leaders or learners. And I think if you can sort of see the, the book as a piece of technology and really in the context of, you know, nonfiction, trying to learn something, then, well, what are the other options, right? And so I think I've started to look at the book differently. And oftentimes I now, I mean, there's a lot of things where I, I want to learn something. I might not even go to a book first. So I'd say that is, you know, definitely look for, uh, look for new ways to learn things beyond books. And then also I started to appreciate like if, it, if, if ultimately I am just trying to learn something from this book, then something that I'll do is go and read a bunch of summaries before I actually start reading the book. Right. It, so that I can sort of get to the knowledge faster and I can create a lot more context for when I actually go into the book. And I think some people would, you know, probably poo poo that because they're, they're saying, you know, you're kind of like ruining the book. But I think, 
you know, again, ask yourself, like, what is the, what is the reason that you're reading the book in the first place? If it's to learn, then I would say, do everything that you can to equip yourself to learn that, uh, that subject or that, that domain well. And so I think, you know, reading summaries ahead of time is really effective. And I've, there have definitely been some books that I was going to read and I read, you know, two or three summaries and was like, I don't need to read the book anymore. I, I sort of like get what the, the main points of the book are. So that saved me a lot of time and, you know, some money from in terms of buying the book. So I think that that's an important consideration just off the get go is like, why are you reading? Could you get the information in the, in the learning context? Could you get the information without actually reading the book? Could you supplement the book with other things? Some, you know, and then if you actually do decide to read the book, then there are some things like, you know, do you really need to read the book in order? So usually if it's a, if it's a book on a topic I'm really interested in, oftentimes I'm, you know, flipping through the book, maybe reading a little bit of each chapter. And oftentimes what authors will do is they'll, they'll sort of like summarize chapters in the last few pages of chapters. So you can get a good idea of what each chapter is about by just maybe reading the last couple pages. Definitely looking at the looking at the table of contents and trying to sort of understand like well how have they laid things out and why have they laid them out in that in that order. So I think that's a big piece. I think you know not being afraid to make a study of the book, like you know write write on the book, highlight it, full pages. Yeah, I think just not being afraid to to like work with the book, mark it up write in it, make notes, underline things. I would, yeah. And I, I would be interested to hear like, what is your, what, what's your process for, for reading books? Yeah, for sure. I think, like you said, it's evolving. I think before I start reading the book, I find that a lot of author, authors share a podcast or an interview and, you know, really try to promote the book. And in that content, you can probably find the most useful pieces of insight. And I think that that's been pretty effective. I find myself listening to more podcasts, reading less books, and I don't think I've lost as much on information. I think the other piece is for the authors that, you know, do have Twitter. I think I use Twitter as a great way of trying to understand how great the book is. I think a lot of times it's pretty, it's pretty telling uh, when you can kind of go through the past few tweets, past few years and tweets and really get a sense of where the author's knowledge is at and where they're spending most of their time thinking. And that's been really effective. And then as I read the book, I think really using the table of contents, I think it sounds almost sacrilegious to skip a chapter, right? Especially for the type of people who are going through and taking the time to read nonfiction books. They're also the type of people who are trained from an academic perspective to complete the entire book. And I think being able to look through and you know just view the table of contents, focus on what exactly is relevant to them and going over to the next book, right? You don't have to complete an entire book to say you've read the book. And to be honest, it doesn't even matter you know, what people might think when it comes to reading the entire book. You're not going to get quizzed on the book. You're not going to get tested on it. It's not really relevant anymore. And I think a lot of times people want to be able to read the entire book so that they can just say they read the entire book, right? And if that's the case, you're probably reading for the wrong reasons. And then the last piece that I find really interesting is going through the bibliography of the book. So a lot of times I find a lot of great information just from reading the books, reading the articles, going into the authors of a great book, right? Normally, 
when you create a great book, it's not, you know, generated out of thin air. It's usually created from a bunch of different resources. And so being able to go through kind of the derivative of that book, seeing what are some of the foundational elements that that author relied on has been really useful and really impactful when I think about some of the content that I've been able to create as far as blog posts go. So, you know, that's kind of how I view reading. I think over time, we're going to see more pieces of information just being chunked out and being made available through things like blogs, newsletters, podcasts. And I think being able to quickly sift through those pieces of content versus taking the time and investment to actually read an entire book is going to be the more preferred approach. So I almost see it like a modularization of the book where you're able to pick and choose the content that you like and just go from there. And so, you know, when we go back to that ladder that we talked about in learning that entire skill, you know, these are the small shortcuts that we can take that generations in the past could not have taken. And I think that just helps us when it comes to learning. Yeah. And I think, you know, to that point, like you see companies like Blinkist emerge, right? Where basically like, how do we summarize a book into, you know, 10 important points? And could you sort of get the the full grasp of really the important points that the author was trying to make in like five minutes? I think that's a great example of what you're talking about. And I think that yeah, if the goal is learning and it's, it, it's, if you look at it sort of like as an optimization problem, like how do I, how do I learn faster? Then I think, it, it, you know, it's this dealing with this like mindset of, you know, we, we pick up a book and we sort of feel committed to like read the entire book or like if we're, if we're using summaries or something like Blinkist to get the information, then maybe that's like somehow cheating. I think that people definitely have a little bit of that. And I, I definitely, had a little bit of that years ago and then sort of came to the realization that no, I mean, fundamentally it really is about learning and getting information and trying to make that something that I can apply in my own own life, making it useful. And so like, what's the quickest path to that? Yeah. I mean, the key to learning ironically is unlearning a lot of bad habits that we may have learned in the past, right? A lot of bad misconceptions that affect our ability to learn new things and, you know, essentially reducing or removing that perceived inertia right between where we are today and where we could be after we learn an entirely new topic. What are some of the top resources that you know you would recommend when it comes to learning? So we've touched on a few throughout and and a lot of the ideas that I've mentioned or that are sort of like subtly buried in some of the things that I'm doing. I would say in terms of like tactical stuff the Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin is a great book. He has some really interesting ideas in there. Things like investment in loss. So, you know, as a, as a learner, this idea that like we have to be prepared to sort of like failure is part of the process and we have to be prepared to sort of invest in that process. And so Josh Waitzkin is a guy who he was like a young chess champion, world champion, and then made a successful transition into uh, martial arts. And now he's on to, I can't remember what he's working on now, but all of these things he's done at a, at a sort of like a world champion level. So he has some like really interesting insights around like, you know, the process of learning and what are some core principles there. I think learning how to learn was, which is a course on Coursera I took, I want to say like five or six years ago. And that definitely changed my perspective on the learning process and gave me a lot of like tangible things 
to actually think about in terms of the learning process. So for example, like spaced repetition, active learning versus passive learning, right? So just reading your notes, probably not that effective, but if you're sort of like forcing yourself to recall things, you know, you're going to have a much better time of integrating that information into your, into your mind. So I think that course is, is really awesome because it, it gives you some tactics, some tactics in terms of how to learn, but they also go into like how your brain works, which I think is really helpful for any learner to understand, right? Uh, because then when you're making these decisions about, well, you know, should I take notes for this book? Should I revisit those notes at a different point in time? Well, you know, as you start to learn how your brain works, then those decisions start to make sense. You have a why for, you know, why you're doing these things. Um, Ultra Learning by Scott Young. That's a good book. Jim Quick, I think I mentioned, you know, this like make notes versus take notes. He's a very interesting guy and has a ton of amazing content online. Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck. I think that's a great book to read for just the whole like psychology and mindset around learning. Ryan Holiday has a great article on like, I think it's called Read to Lead, How to Digest Books Above Your Level. So more points on how to think about reading books. And Shane Parrish from uh, Farming Street, he has a, a long post on how to read a book. And then... Yeah, one other I would mention, which I think is takes us sort of back to the beginning of the conversation on, you know, we're thinking about flow state and the sort of psychology of learning and uh, momentum, which I don't, I don't think we were kind of indirectly touching on, but I think momentum is such an important part of the learning process. Something that I always think about, whether it's exercise or learning something that I know is going to be challenging, like calculus or whatever it may be, is... I think it's really important to understand where you are in the, the learning process and setting yourself up for success by, so for example, let's, let's use fitness, right? If you're unfit and you haven't worked out in a long time, or maybe you're sort of, maybe this is a completely new thing to you, start really simple, right? Start very simple, start very slow. Your first day at the gym shouldn't be two hours destroying your body. It should be something very light, right? And we're, we're trying to, create this experience that's enjoyable so that you want to come back for day two and day two is maybe a little bit harder and then you want to come back for day three and so on right and so george st pierre's trainer a guy named uh, faraz zahabi he has an amazing two-part series on youtube where he's basically talking about this sort of process of building a mindset for fitness for life and momentum is a big piece of that and i think that that can be applied against not just fitness, but any, any kind of learning. So I would highly recommend uh, taking a look at that as well. Great recommendations on that piece around momentum. Another thing that we previously talked about was this idea of play, right. And how that could really help when it comes to creating that flow state of learning specifically around fitness. But I think it applies really to anything else. Could you speak a bit more on that? Yeah. I mean, that's, again, it, it kind of comes back to my comments around trying to cultivate this mindset of, of being a student and really understanding the sort of psychological piece. Learning is at the end of the day, it's a psychological game, right? Like, and that's why, you know, people are constantly talking about growth mindset and all these other things, because it's so much about how you just sort of perceive what's happening to you. And so, yeah, I, I think what I try and do is create scenarios where the learning process for me feels like play. I, I apply that against fitness. So when I go to the gym, I'm not trying to crush myself. I go in and, and try and make 
make my workout feel like it's, it's play. And usually what happens is I do end up pushing myself quite hard. And I think the same thing for, you know, if I'm learning programming or whatever, the same thing, like, how do I, how do I set the, that block of time off that I'm dedicated to learning that thing in such a way where I know it's going to be enjoyable. And then I, I have this sort of magnetic experience where I'm being pulled into it. And I think that we can design our environments to, to make that happen. We can, a lot of it is the expectations we're creating for ourselves. Again, that psychological aspect. So yeah, I think that's a really interesting way to look at learning anything is like, how do I turn this process into something that's playful, something that's enjoyable? And I think if you can figure that out, then that is what sort of builds that momentum and gets you from day one to day two to day 365 to five years, you know? Yeah, completely agree. I think, you know, obviously there's that compounding effect that's made so much more easier when we think about this idea of play and how we can apply that, not just from an entertainment perspective, but from a learning perspective. And this idea of play, I think, is also unique to each of us, right? I think what may be a sense of play for you would be very different for myself versus someone listening on the podcast. And I think that's a really important thing to realize as well, because I think a lot of the stuff that we talked about when it comes to learning requires deep reflection. Right. And just truly understanding yourself and absent of that, you're not going to find the right solution by taking the granular tactics that other people use. Right. It might work, but it most likely won't be the most optimal solution. And I think a lot of it will take experimentation, self-discovery and just the ability to kind of go through a number of different ways of learning before you figure out what's the most comfortable form of learning for you. And I think that's, that's definitely where I personally want to leave off a lot of people kind of probably took on a lot of information through this podcast. And and I, I think it's really important to start off by just capturing information, but also, you know, really important to do a lot of deep reflection and then apply the concepts that we talked about in this podcast onto whatever they learn from their reflection. Duncan, is there anything else that you'd like to leave the listeners with? I think you, you summarized it pretty well there. I would just add like, yeah, I mean, ultimately learning is a process. I think it's really important to understand that. And so to your point, what worked for one person maybe won't work for somebody else. I think it's important to study what other people are doing because you can figure out shortcuts, but you can definitely get caught up in like, well, this, this person has this process and they're, you know, they're incredibly successful or whatever. So I must use that process or somehow I'm failing. I think that that's a really important thing to understand that that's not really what it's about it because it is a process. It's just, you know, how do you ensure that you come back to that process? And I think if you can do that, then you'll be successful, right? If you can just, whatever it is that you're trying to learn, if you can just get yourself back to the second time, the third time, fourth time, and you can make it a practice, that's kind of like, you know, the foundation on which to build amazing skills. So for sure. I think the first mistake that people make is try to copy the outcome, right? The second mistake or the second biggest mistake you can make is try to copy the process. And I think steal where you can, but, you know, obviously adapt it to yourself right? Don't try to take a heavy lifting process of a world-class bodybuilder when you're just starting to go to the gym, right? And so understanding the evolution 
of that process and, and understanding the building blocks is super critical. And a lot of that isn't going to be found in a book or a podcast or a blog. It's more so going to be found within yourself. Right? Yeah, and, great point. So yeah, I, I mean, obviously amazing to have you on and, and obviously enjoy conversations with you. Look forward to having many more. And yeah, hopefully everyone found this useful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me.